Wow. I want to say thank you guys so much for being here today. I know that you have already been blessed. And you know what? If we ended right here and we left, you could definitely say you have been in the presence of the Most High God. Amen? Absolutely. You know, this morning, um, you know, I I got up and I was going through my normal routine. And those of you who don't normally hear me, I, I tell a lot of stories. All right? And some are funny, some are absolutely just stupid, okay? And they, they make some, some make no sense whatsoever. It just comes to my mind and I say it. But, you know, this morning I, I got up and I was going through uh, my routine. We had sunrise service this morning at the park. That was fantastic, a great crowd. Some of you who were there, I'm sure, can, can witness to that. But um, I got home and, and uh, you know, everybody was still in bed in my house because I have a, little guys and, and so I don't, I don't make them go to the sunrise service. I'm, I'm sure they appreciate that. Um, but as I was, you know, getting ready for the day and, and everything was happening at, at the house and I was getting prepared and I was going over some things for this morning. And, I, you know, sometimes the moment and the day that you're in can sometimes be just a little overwhelming. And I sat there and I began to think to myself, wow, can we even truly grasp what this day defines for us as humanity? I don't know that we're able to fully comprehend that. But, you know, I, I came over here a little bit early for a moment, had to do a few things, and then I went back to the house. And when I went back to the house, my little guys started getting up. And they were excited because they know who came on Solemn last night. And that was the Easter Bunny, all right? And they came out into the room, into the, into the kitchen dining room area, and they saw their baskets, and they just lit up with pure joy and excitement. I mean, my one guy, he was just kind of like shaking, you know, he was just so excited. And I thought to myself, wow, if we could only be just as excited as what they were to receive their gift, as we can be excited as what we have received through what Jesus Christ had done for us, I just can't, my heart just is full of excitement and joy this morning to understand that we serve a risen Savior who defeated all things for our eternal existence. Amen. Uh, So happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday, whichever way you go with that is fine and appropriate. But uh, I stand here today, and this is my first Sunday as the pastor of this church on an Easter and, you know, it, I, I sat there for a minute. You know, I've been here for nine years, nine, nine Easters. But this is the first one where I get to actually be your pastor. And, uh, yes, thank you. But I want you to know that, you know, Andrea and I feel so blessed. And it's impossible for us to express our love and appreciation to each one of you. But we know that God has great things in store for us as a church and as well as for us as a community. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story that someone who actually deserved death. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus, instead of offering death, gave life to this individual. We're going to look at a story that directly parallels between Scripture and to you and I today. And I want to start with this one big thought, and this is this. We are all guilty of breaking God's laws. Every one of us, we are all guilty of breaking God's laws. Let me ask you this for, a, for, for a real quick here. And some of you will be like, I'm not sure if I should answer this or not. How many of you ever stole something? Praise God. Some of you are thieves. 
And there's also others of you that are thieves and liars this morning, okay? Bam. I'm on a roll so far. Let me tell you a story for me. I remember growing up, and um, I was living in Baltimore City at the time, and my grandparents were with us. I, I was probably seven, eight years old, and uh, back then, you know, to me, everything was about, I got to get to the toy store, you know, got to go there, got to get something cool, got to get something that my friends would be jealous about, you know, this, that, and another. And uh, I remember one day I was broke, you know, seven, eight years old, broke. I mean, we all know that pain. Some of us are broke even now, okay? It's real. And, you know, I remember as a child, you know, my, my grandfather, in my opinion, had, he was the richest man on earth, all right? He had all the money. That's what I thought, okay? And, and I, I thought to myself one day, and I knew where his stash was. I found it one day by accident, never told nobody. So I went to his room, and I found his stash, and there was a $10 bill. And in my mind, $10, that was a lot of money. I mean, it is kind of a lot of money. Let's face it. So I took that $10, and I, that was early in the morning. I went to school that day, come home, and I walk, walk to and from school every day. And I come home. And I thought to myself, okay, i got to really think this out because i got $10. My mom and dad are going to wonder, where in the world did I come up with this $10? You know what I mean? And I remember going and, and thinking of this plan. It's fail-proof. Absolutely fail-proof plan. There's no way I'm going to get caught. This is going to work out perfectly for me. So I get home, and my mom's there. I was like, Mom, guess what I found laying in the gutter? She's like, what? I was like, this $10 bill. And she's like, you found that? And I was like, yeah. Can we go to the toy store? You know, that's what I, I remember. I could vividly see this moment. Things really quickly turned around for me here in just a second. My grandfather was in the room. And he said, what did you find? I said, I found this $10 bill. He said, let me see that $10 bill. My grandfather numbered his bills. <laughs> let your imagination go from there what happened the rest of my day. And thereafter for quite some time. James chapter 2, verse 10 says this. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. In other words, if you just cheated one time, if you just gossiped one time, if you just stole one time, if you just lied one time, you're just as bad as someone who completely did away with all the laws. That's what the scripture is telling us there. So obviously, we can see through that scripture, and it's proof to us that none of us in this room this morning are perfect. In fact, Romans 6 tells us in verse 23, it says this, for the wages. Now, understand, what does the wages mean? That means this is what you're going to get paid back. All right? So for the wages or the payback of your sin is what? Everyone say it. Is death. All right, let's say that again. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Now understand, every one of us in this room deserves death because we have all sinned. We have all had iniquity in our lives. We have all done wrong. We've all had impure thoughts. We've had lustful eyes. We've had actions that don't line up with God's word. We've said things that are not appropriate. We've gossiped. We've talked about. We've ridiculed. We've had actions that do not line up with God's word. We have all sinned and fallen short. That's proof. We have done this. The good news, though, is because of the grace of God, that he doesn't give us the death that you and I deserve, but rather he gives us life. Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to look at 
this morning, and we're going to take a story of two individuals, two thieves, and we're going to break it down here for a moment. But let's look at verse 32, and it says this. Two other men, both criminals. Other versions actually say in that moment, uh, they, it calls them thieves, okay? So two other men, they, in other words, they were bad people, all right? Now, for everyone that raised their hand and said, I've stole, guess what? You kind of fall into this line. Everyone who said that I've never stole, guess what? You kind of fall into this line too because we proved that you were a liar most likely, okay? And Pastor Kevin has fallen into this as well. So two other men, both criminals or both thieves, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. Verse 33, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Now, before we go any further into this, we need to understand what it meant to crucify someone. This just wasn't necessarily a regular type of practice. This just wasn't necessarily a regular thing that would happen to all the criminals. In order for someone to, to be crucified, they had to be the bad of the bad, the worst of the worst. Now, we understand that the, the, the Bible tells us that they're criminals. Other scriptures, or, or rather uh, uh, other, other references, tell us that they're thieves. But we, we need to understand that in order for someone to be crucified, they had to be considered as the bad of the bad. And this is why. In order for this to happen, the Roman government would have to have four soldiers with every individual who was crucified. Now, during that time, that, what would that entitle? That would entitle a lot of money, a lot of wages had to be spent to make sure one deadbeat had to be killed, had to be eliminated. So in order for this to happen, they had to have substantial proof and evidence that this person was absolutely horrible. So we understand in this scripture that we're reading in verse 32 and 33 of Luke 23, it tells us that there was two other individuals who was led with Christ to the scar, to the place of Golgotha, to the place where Christ was to be crucified or all three were to be crucified. So we understand that these two other guys were really, really bad. Now we need to understand what happened during the crucifixion. We understand that, you know, We've all seen the images. We've seen the movies where they go ahead and they put the nails through their hands and their feet. They put them up on a cross. But what we don't fully realize is that these individuals were completely stripped naked, completely humiliated. In fact, a crucifixion oftentimes would last for days. They would, have, they would be strapped to this cross or nailed to this cross, one or the other, and they would have to use their feet to try to push themselves up to get some type of breath with inside of their lungs to continue to live. Eventually, their muscles would tire out and they would not be able to lift any longer. So what would happen? They would begin to suffocate and they would begin to die. Now, what you also need to understand is not only did these things happen and not only was there beatings that happened prior to the humiliation of being placed on that cross naked. And I'm just talking about the two criminals here, not even speaking of Christ. But oftentimes, even before their death would come about, birds would come and begin to pick at their flesh. It was pure torment, as well as being baked in the sun for who knows how many days. We don't know exactly what these criminals had done, but it was bad enough 
that the Roman government felt it fit for them to be crucified, to spend the extra money, to have the extra time of their soldiers in order for these men to be eliminated. We're going to jump to verse 39 here. One of the criminals who hung there hurled what? Insults at Jesus. Questions such as this. Aren't you the Messiah? Now, when I read this, we often read it monotone in our voice. Aren't you the Messiah? But I believe there is a little bit of an attitude here by the one criminal. He's saying, come on, man, aren't you the Messiah? I mean, if you, if you are the Messiah, can't you save yourself and us? I don't believe he was saying it in a way that was reassuring, but rather I believe his tone was saying it in a very condescending manner, a voice of sarcasm to Christ. Come on, aren't you the Messiah? Can't you save yourself and us? I love verse 40, and we're going to get to that now. It says, but, I love this guy right here. The other criminal rebuked him. Who did he rebuke? He rebuked the first one. This is the second thief rebuking the first one. And he says this, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence. I kind of look at this guy like this. He's like, look, it's kind of like this. I'm going to die regardless. Maybe this guy is really saying something real here. And I'm going to jump on board and kind of go with it. So here we've got the first criminal mocking Christ. A voice that was very condescending, a voice full of sarcasm saying, aren't you the Messiah? Can't you save us and yourself? And then we have this other criminal who's on the other side and he says, look, don't you fear God? Don't you realize where we are all in right now? Don't you realize what our outcome is eventually going to become? Don't you realize that we're, all three of us are shortly going to be dead and we're no longer going to be existing? Don't you fear God? We're under the same sentence. You know, I, I look at this and, and, and I think to myself, every one of us, spiritually speaking, are one of these two thieves. Every one of us in this room represent one of these two thieves. You have the individual in this room who might only be here because of the day that it is and may not have that relationship with Christ and may be in a very condescending way thinking to themselves, this potentially could be a waste of my time. I have other things that I could do. And then we have other individuals in this room this morning who could be just as the other thief and thinking to themselves, you know, Maybe this isn't what it's all cracked up to be. Maybe everything that has led me to this point in my life is leading me to a spot where I need to place a trust, place a relationship in who Jesus Christ is. You know, looking back at verse 39, we have the first gentleman who says, aren't you the Messiah? He says, save yourself and us. What do we know about this guy? We don't know a whole lot. The scriptures really don't tell us a whole lot. But we do know this. Apparently, he's very arrogant. Apparently, he's an individual who, who is uh, allowing a lot of pride to be in his life. 
an individual who is very smart aleck. In other words, okay, quite honestly, Jesus, if this is who you are, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you get yourself off of this cross? Why don't you save yourself? An individual who is arrogant. You know, if we're going to summarize him in one word, it would be this. He would be an individual who would be unrepentant. An individual who, plain and simply, just doesn't fear God. Doesn't fear the consequence. Doesn't have a desire to have a relationship. Isn't humble. He doesn't recognize that what he's doing is wrong. He hasn't recognized that Jesus is offering love or could offer love or could offer compassion. He's not realizing that the eternal life that Jesus could offer him in that moment would be much better than what his eternal existence would be without Jesus. You see, he's guilty. He deserves where he's at. He's broken. But then, you know, I look at the second guy, thief number two. He says, since we're under the same sentence, in other words, we're being punished justly for what we have done. This is a man who also is guilty, no doubt. A man who also deserves what's coming his way. He's also a man who is broken. But here's the difference. He's also a man who is humble. He's also a man in this moment that he recognizes that, you know what, I'm not good. I have done wrong. I am not perfect. He's a man that we could categorize as being the opposite of unrepentant, but what? Repentant. A man who is willing to look at his faults, look at his shortcomings, look at his downfalls, look at his his mistakes and say, I realize what I've done. I fear God in this moment. I fear what the outcome of my life will be thereafter in eternity. We have two different individuals who are completely related in the sense of what they have done, but so far apart in the spiritual realm. You see, this morning we have people who sit here with us today and you have some here who are worshiping. You have some here who may not be worshiping. You have some here who are listening to the word. You have others here who are planning their day because it's so nice thereafter when the service is over. You have some here who are wanting to have a relationship with God. You have some here who are saying, I can put off. But the words that the second thief says rings through my mind. Do you not fear God? Since we are what? All under the same sentence. Where has our fear and reverence of God gone to? Do we fear God? Do we love him as we say we do and we we proclaim that we do? But what are we doing to show that love? What are we doing to show the world that we are different than what they are? So many want to live the life of the first thief where we think we have time or we think that, you know what, can't you save yourself? And and we almost look at the church in a condescending way because of the rules, the regulations, and the things that we said, the laws, and all these things that, that people put over top of the church and say that they can't live a full life. Let me tell you something. I would rather live my life under the God's laws 
than the laws that the world has to offer me that says compromise is fine. Because compromise is not fine. Compromise is not obedience. Compromise is not living the word of God. You see, the first thief is willing to live the life of compromise. But the second thief is saying, I'm willing to step out and do something different. Both individuals completely wrong in what they have done. Both individuals who are thieves, who are liars, both individuals who lived that scripture in James that we first talked about. In other words, they committed one sin, that means they broke all the laws. Every one of us in this room fall under that category. We have broken the laws of God. We continue to look through the scripture and what is amazing to me is we get the verses 42 and 43. And it says this, then he said, speaking of Jesus, or he says, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Listen, there's no fancy wording here. He's not in this moment of begging. He's not pleading. He's not doing anything. He doesn't have that, you know, 10-word prayer, our Father, you know, please forgive me of my sin, save my life. No, there's nothing there. All he says is, remember me. Remember me. I remember the time that, and I've said this many times, but I'll say it again this morning as well. I remember giving my life to Jesus Christ, and I'll never forget the moment when I did it. There was no prayer that came out of my mouth except for one word that day. I was broken. I was a thief. I was a cheater. I was, I was a liar. I was everything. I broke God's laws, and I will never forget the moment when I made that choice. Just as this thief did, he did not say anything other than, remember me, Jesus. But I remember the day that I gave my life to Christ. When I came down, and I, this big dude was down there. I, I've told you that, guys this a hundred times. He wrapped his arms around me, and he said, just say whatever you got. And all I could get out was Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. That moment, I was no longer thief number one. But in that moment, I became what? Thief number two. He says, verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And let's look at verse 43. Jesus answered him, and this is what's so awesome. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Boom. Right there. Right there was a game changer. Right there, everything became different. Right there in that moment, this person's world, eternal existence, turned upside down. Right there in that moment, everything changed. To me, I look at this and I, and, and I think to myself, I wonder what God sees when he looks at me. Because I, I was looking at my sons this morning and as I knew what I was getting into with this message, and I try to make everything as personable as I possibly can so you can feel that emotion in the moment. But I was looking at my sons this morning at the joy that was over them. And you know, when I saw that joy that was over them, joy came into me because I was so excited because they were excited. I remember looking at my one son yesterday. 
Carter, and he was, he was having a bad moment. No, he wasn't bad. He was just having a bad moment, you know what I'm saying? It was actually a good, you know what I mean. But he was so distraught. He was so upset about something. And I couldn't figure out what he was upset about. But you know what happened? It broke my heart to see that he was upset. And then my other son, he just starts picking on him. And I'm just like, what are you doing, you know? (laughs) And I look at all three of these emotions that I just described to you. And I thought to myself this morning as I was looking over this, why does God see me, Kevin Stanley? How does he see me as his son? Does he look at me in those moments and have pride and joy when I've done something right? This week, many of you might have saw on Facebook, I was so proud of Carter. First at bat, first season coach pitch, boom, he strokes the ball down the third baseline. All right? I was pumped, right? I was proud. And I wonder sometimes, does God get proud for me? Does God get proud for us when we do something amazing to to grow his kingdom or to do something amazing to enhance my family? I think so. Does God look at me in those moments when I'm hurting? Does he hurt with me? Does he look at me and, and, and see me when I'm in my tears? Does he sob for me as well as I do my own children? I think so. And does he look at me like I looked at my one son going, what are you doing? I think so. You see, we serve a God who is so full of emotion toward us that loves us so much. But I also wonder, does he look at us sometimes when we have not committed that life to Christ and he pains over you? Not tears of, of, I want to help you in this moment, but tears of open your eyes. And see what is right before you. Because he understands this. We all have the same sentence. But where will our eternal existence be? That is the key. Psalms 103 verse 10 through 12. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquity. Stop right there. Praise God for that. I praise God that he does not treat me according to that. Let's go to verse, continue. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. Wow. It's unlimited. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Stop, don't go further. His love is so great for us to fear him. It's immeasurable. Do you understand that? It's immeasurable. I have a hard time comprehending that because I look at my kids and I look at my sons, all three of them, which I would do absolutely anything for. But no matter how much I could love them, I can never top the love that God has for me. No, much, no matter how much I could love my wife, Andrea, God loves me even more. We understand through the scriptures that what did he do? He gave his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Let's go to verse 12. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because we all sin. But it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed 
our transgressions from what? From us. Wow. It says so far he's removed our transgressions for us. There's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. And there's no sin that you can commit that can make him love you any less. When he should have been sitting on a throne, he was hanging on a cross. Think about that. When he should have had a crown of gold on his head, he had a crown of thorns piercing him. When he should have been surrounded by servants, he was surrounded by us, thieves. When he was innocent, he gave his life for those who are guilty, and that is us. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It goes, and it says, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus. Some of us do not understand what we have in a gift through Christ, and that is eternal life. Some of us take this man and this relationship that we can have with him, and we take it for granted. We think to ourselves, I've got plenty of time. We think to ourselves that, you know, not right now, maybe later. We think to ourselves that, you know, it requires too much of a lifestyle change, and I just don't think that I could live up to that. I can't live up to the lifestyle change either. That's why I go to him daily, repenting for what I've done. I want you to stay with me this morning. All across this room, please. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. I want you to understand that in his great mercy, he's given you new birth. If anyone in Christ sees a new creation, the old is gone and behold, everything becomes new. We saw in the scripture in Psalms where it says that he casts our transgressions, our sins as far as the east is from the west. But only once we bring it to his knowledge. We understand that anyone who can call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We understand it doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out prayer. We understand that the thief, all he said was, just remember me. I remember in my moment, all I could get out was Jesus. You see, there's many here in this room today who have not made that commitment, who have not made that decision, who have not stepped up and said, you know what, it's time for the lifestyle change to begin in my life. I want you to understand something. I don't say this out of pressure and out of guilt. I say this out of love because Christ is what? Love. 
He's full of compassion and understanding. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you any more, and there's nothing that you can do to make him love you any less. It's hard for us to comprehend, and it's hard for us to, to, to think through our mind, how is that even possible? Well, that's because he's God and you're not. That's because he's Jesus and you're not. I think to myself today and the joy that brings to us as the church to know that our risen Savior is alive and is coming back for his church again. But what saddens my heart even more is that there's so many. We've had so many opportunities to make the decision, to make the lifestyle change, to, to develop and begin the relationship, but have chosen not to do so. So I'm going to make this very simple this morning. Absolutely no moving around. But with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask this question to you today. If you want to, right now, you say, Pastor Kevin, I want to make that choice today. I want to make that decision right now. All I want you to do is just slip up your hand and say, that's, that's me. I see that hand. I see that one back there. That one, that one. I see that hand. Wow. I see that one. I see that one. I see that one. You can put your hands down. Wow. Here's what I want to do as a church. I want us all together to say this sinner's prayer with me this morning. Father God, thank you for giving your son Jesus Christ for my sins. Thanking you for loving me so much that you gave what was so precious for me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Today's a new day. Today's a start over. A new beginning. Another chance. And from this day forward, I commit my life to you. From this day forward, I will live for you. From this day forward, I will serve you. I love you, Jesus. Come into my heart. Come into my life and change me forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give the Lord a praise right now for those lives that have been changed? But we're not done. We're not done because so many of us in this room, we're like that second thief. And you're still, even though you got the relationship with him, you're battling. Times get hard, they get tough. It's hard to live that life sometimes. You struggle, you battle it, but you're still, you're not giving up. And I wanna commend you for that. But here's what we're gonna do. I want you to take the hand beside you. I know some of you are complete strangers, it's all good. We have hand sanitizer in the back as you leave, scrub down. And I'm gonna pray this prayer over you as a church. Father God, I thank you for every individual who is here this morning. I thank you for their lives. Lord, I thank you right now for those eight individuals who committed their life to you. 
What a glorious moment that is in heaven right now. And I thank you, Lord, for the churches across this world where people have made that com same commitment this morning. We worship and glorify you and celebrate those lives. But Father, Lord, you see the lives that are here who are committed to you, and they may be struggling at times. They may be having a hard time. They may be struggling with living that life and, and they're falling short. And Lord, we all fall short. Daily, Lord, you instruct us to go to repentance. So Father, right now, forgive us of our sins. Help us to stay strong in you. Help us, Lord, to stay committed in you. Help us, Lord, to stay focused in you. Help us, Lord, to continue in those spiritual disciplines of being in your word. Daily prayer time with you. Meditating upon you, Father. So God, I pray that you will be with everyone who leaves this place today. Lord, I know that they know that they've been in the presence of the most high God. And Jesus, thank you that we are celebrating that you rose from that grave to give us eternal life. We will never forget and we love you. In Jesus' name, and the church says, amen and amen. We love you guys. We thank you so much for being here. Real quick, let the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, we'll see you later.